Hey, good morning, Christ Church family. How are you all doing? You guys doing okay today? You guys actually look kind of happy today, except for some of you have masks on, which is not a happy-inducing experience, is it? Um, hey, uh, just by show of hands, how many of you were actually participating as one of the volunteers this week at the kids' camp? Just again, anybody... Uh, was at the kids' camp this week. So um, one of the volunteers that I just wanted to highlight is uh, Mary Walston. So Mary actually had knee surgery not that long ago. So she had knee replacement surgery. And I'm not sure Mary knew how much she'd be walking back and forth across the street at this camp. But um, I sit in my office, uh, and I, I have windows all around my office, and I just look out, and I can see uh, what's happening on that side of the street, what's happening on this side of the street, and I can see, you know, the kids uh, moving around, and I can see all of the volunteers. And when I saw Mary, I was just like, man, Mary is awesome. And uh, what an incredible, just dedicated volunteer at this stage, you know, after just getting uh, surgery to be up and with students and moving back and forth. And so for all of you who participated with Mary and Kellen and all of the rest to serve. Thank you so much. You know, our desire is really to minister to young families and kids and reach the next generation. But, you know, we cannot do that alone. And in order to do that, we need partners together in this work and people who will just serve together with us. And so for those of you who are, who are doing that, like Lexi, uh, you just saw on the screen working with students or you're working with children, thank you so much. We value your participation and your engagement on this team. And so we're going to be talking a little bit more about service today. And so let's just pray as we prepare to open up God's Word. We're going to actually be looking at John chapter 13, Gospel of John chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 13. And, uh, or you can turn in your uh, app on your phone or whatever, John chapter 13. I'll also have the text on the screen uh, behind me. So let's pray together. Father, we ask that as we open up your word, that you would open up our hearts and our minds and that you would speak to us and that you'd make us attentive to your voice. God, come and break into our hearts and lives. Some of us feel numb, some hopeful and excited. Uh, some of us feel sad or anxious. Some of us can't even believe we are sitting in church today. And God, we just ask that wherever we're at, that you would come and you would meet us in that place, that you would speak and you'd make us attentive and that you would change us because we've sat in your presence and we've heard from your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said... So this week, I was thinking back on my own story of coming to know Jesus. And so I became a Christian when I was about 16 years old. It was uh, the summer going into my junior year of high school. And I didn't have a real racy past. You know, I wasn't a drug addict or a drug dealer or a gang member or something like that. You know, but Jesus came in and he made a profound and radical difference in my life. And I think one of the single most profound and miraculous things that God did in my life at that season is he took uh, who I was at that time. I was largely a self-absorbed, entitled, 16-year-old surfer kid who primarily liked to get the last bowl of ice cream, liked to sit shotgun in the car, uh, liked to vie for my own way and get my own way and kind of like have the world revolve around me. Anybody else out there like that, entitled, the world revolve around you? Most of you. Um, but, you know, I was there, 
And Jesus at that time changed my life. And one of the ways in which he changed my life was he developed in me, and I can only attribute this to a work from God in my life, he developed in me a desire to serve. And I began to do things that I had never at that point in my life done before or wanted to do before. I started volunteering in the children's ministry and working with four and five-year-olds. Uh, instead of just attending the surf contest that our church put on, I actually got up at five o'clock in the morning and went down there and set up scaffolding and worked the whole day there and then tore the scaffolding down at the end of the day for the contest. And I would go into the church office and I never cleaned. I tried to avoid uh, work around the house, and I volunteered to go into the church and to clean out the closet at the church. It wasn't really my gift, but I did it. But, you know, I look back and I see, like, God was doing something in my life. And it's interesting because whereas through, you know, the first couple of years in high school, I was, where I was largely self-absorbed in doing what I wanted to with my time, uh, getting to surf as much as I wanted to and ditching school and doing that and uh, all that sort of thing. You know, after I began serving, I found that my life began to experience greater levels of joy and meaning and satisfaction. And I know I'm not alone. I think there's a whole lot of you that had that same experience in your life. There was a season in your life where you were largely self-absorbed, life was about you, and then you got involved in serving and Jesus started to do something in your life. You became a disciple, and what a disciple means is you're a learner of Jesus, you're learning how to live from Jesus, and Jesus served to meet the practical needs of other people, so you started serving to meet the practical needs of other people, and in serving, you actually found greater levels of meaning and joy and fulfillment in your life. So we began a series three weeks ago now entitled A Meaningful Life. And the thesis in our whole series is from the lips of Jesus who basically said, look, in order to find your life, you need to lose it. In other words, the pathway into a life of meaning and fullness and joy is a, is a pathway that is marked by sacrificial and generous and glad self-giving where we give our life away to meet the needs of others. And so uh, what we've been saying every week is that God has a role that he wants you to play in his mission in this world. He's got something for you and me. And so over the last few weeks, we've been uh, raising a few diagnostic questions to help you kind of discern what role God wants you to play, how he wants you to get involved. And so our first week, I asked the question, what bothers you? You know, sometimes by, by attending to what, what frustrates you about what's going on, you can sometimes discern what God is calling you to fix, what he's calling you to get involved in. So what bothers you? And then our second week, we asked the question, what do you have? You know, we looked at that little boy who had two fish and five loves in his lunchbox. And I asked you the question, what's in your lunchbox? Because very often God wants to take your gifts and your talents and your skills and your resources, your home, your car, whatever, and he wants to leverage those resources that he's given you to bless and serve and be a benefit to others. And then last week we asked the question, what is your pain? In other words, is there some deep story of failure and disappointment and heartache in your life that maybe God wants you to be vulnerable with and share with others because so often it is not our strengths but our weaknesses. It's not our victories but our own story of failure that can actually be used by God to connect with somebody else and help them in their own journey of failure and where they're at. 
And so whereas uh, we asked the question, uh, you know, what bothers you or what do you have uh, last week? What is your pain? This week, I want to ask the question, what is the need? Because look, you know, sometimes it's not that you have a particular passion or burden for something. And it's not that you feel particularly well-suited to meet the need. And it may not even be that you have a particular pain or heartache in your past that allows you to uniquely be able to minister to somebody else. Sometimes there's just a need and you're exposed to it and God is calling you to step up and get involved in meeting the need. Now, we have an agenda for you in sharing this because I want to challenge you to step up and get involved in meeting the needs within this church family and within our community. And many of you are already doing that. And I think the question I'm hoping you will be asking throughout this series is, what is the next step God wants you to take out of a life of self and into a life of service? And so what is the need? You know, uh, uh, a few weeks ago, I was uh, down in the basement of our church at about 6.15 in the morning, and I ran into Georgina Siniglu, a good friend of mine, and uh, I was a little bit surprised to see her down in the basement, and she was down there and getting ready to practice running the slides for a Sunday morning. And I think this surprised me because I don't think Georgina likes to get up that early, and... Um, but second, she's not particularly tech-savvy. In fact, I know that this particular job creates some anxiety in her because you're running the slides that you all look at on a Sunday morning, and if you mess up, everybody sees it. And, uh, you know, and, and Georgina, though, she's an incredibly gifted woman. She can teach, and uh, she is incredibly hospitable. She's a warm, welcoming person. And I've seen God use all kinds of gifts that she has in order to bless and serve this body of Christ. But here, she wasn't using the thing that she was uniquely gifted at. I, I asked Georgina, what are you doing down here? She said, well, there was a need, and Ryan asked, can you help? And I just said, there's a need, and I'm going to step up and meet it. And look, somebody has to answer the call. And if they don't, then we don't have the important needs that we have in this community and in our surrounding, you know, San Gabriel Valley met if we don't respond to the needs that exist in front of us. You know, it, is, it was characteristic of the life of Jesus. I mean, it was, in many ways, it was the unique and the defining mark of Jesus that caused him to stand out in many ways among all of the, the, the great leaders in, in history or whatever. One of the unique and defining characteristics of Jesus was his humble posture of service to meet the needs of those around him. And this morning, I want to just explore a very familiar story where that servant heart of Jesus is on full display. It's on John chapter 13, and it begins in verse 1, and it says this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. So let's set the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet in context. So this is the very last night of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross. And it's fascinating. You know, throughout the life of Jesus, he did all kinds of miraculous and brilliant work. You know, uh, he healed the sick and he cleansed the lepers and he raised people from the dead and he gave sight to the blind and, and he cast out demons. But it's fascinating, isn't it? The very last work, the very last work he does before he goes to the cross 
is he doesn't cast out a demon, and he doesn't raise the dead, and he doesn't heal the sick. Instead, he washes dirty feet. Isn't that fascinating? The king of glory, on his very last night before he goes to the cross, washes dirty feet. And look what it says. It says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon said, I think that John is pointing out that Judas, the one who's going to betray Jesus, is still at the table. In other words, whose feet is Jesus washing? It's not just the feet of his friends. Jesus is also washing the feet of his enemies. Jesus is not just here engaged in sacrificial love and service for his disciples, he's also sacrificially loving and serving those who are not, or those who will betray him, Judas. And it says this in the next verse. And so what did he do? Well, he rose from the table and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Here Jesus is putting on himself the classic and typical garments of a servant, of a common house slave. This is how they would dress. You know, uh, our family, you know, we've always enjoyed uh, the Harry Potter novels. And there's characters in Harry Potter called um, house elves. And uh, there was one house elf whose name was Dobie. In fact, it's one of the middle names of our dog. Our dog is Brutus Severus Kuyper, Fighting Bull, Tummy Rub, Dobie. Um, Anyway, he's got a lot of names. But a house elf has a particular outfit. They wear these long, tattered uh, shirts. And back when my daughters were just little, uh, they were so caught up in the story that sometimes my my youngest daughters, Lucy and Eve, would put on long, tattered shirts and they would play the role of house elf and they would clean the entire house. It was glorious. It was like awesome. And uh, they don't do that anymore. Um, (laughs) But here Jesus puts on the classic garment of, of a house slave. He disrobes himself and he, he, puts a, he ties uh, the towel around his waist and then he pours water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Here Jesus in our text does what is completely unexpected. And it is hard for those of us who've grown up around the church for many years to wrap our minds and hearts just around how incredibly counterintuitive and countercultural and revolutionary Jesus is actually being in this moment. You know, in the ancient world, a master never washed the, the feet of his disciples. In the ancient world, a superior never served an inferior. That was the entire hierarchical structure. That was how society functioned and worked, is the superior people were served by the inferiors. But here Jesus does what is completely unexpected and shocking. He takes on the role of a common servant and kneels down to wash his own disciples' feet. And again, in their culture, a superior rabbi would never do this for his disciples. Now, on one level, Jesus is doing this. He's simply saying, look, this is a symbol of my entire life purpose, which is to reveal the nature of God as a being of self-giving, self-sacrificing love. 
It's also a symbol of what Jesus himself is about to do in becoming a servant and giving his own life to die for the sins of the world. And so on one level, Jesus is saying, look, this is a symbol of my entire life. Even as I left the glory of my Father in heaven, so I have stood up from the table. And even as I clothed myself in humanity and in the role of a slave, I have clothed myself now before you with the garments of a slave. He says, this is my entire life purpose. But on another level, Jesus is simply humbling himself and he's meeting a practical need. You know, in the ancient world, people wore sandals. And when you wear sandals, your feet get real dirty. And the, the streets were fairly nasty in the ancient world. I mean, people would, they didn't have regular plumbing systems and people would throw their refuse on the streets. And it was kind of a, a nasty, gross place. Anybody here like nasty, grimy, dirty toes? Anybody like toes with long toenails? Anybody right now getting the heebie-jeebies because I've even mentioned that? And it was a practical need, though, to have your feet cleaned and scrubbed and washed. And here, Jesus is now doing what practically needs to be done. What about you? What about me? Do we follow in the master's steps and do what just needs to be done? Meaning real practical, sometimes dirty, sometimes unimpressive, sometimes unappealing and not very appetizing needs. Do we stand up and meet it? And of course, John here highlights the irony of what's happening because he says that Jesus, knowing who he was, And the text explicitly says, knowing that the Father had committed all things into his hands. How much had God the Father committed into the hands of his Son? All things. Can you say all things? He committed everything. Jesus is exalted to the highest seat of cosmic authority. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority has been put into my hands. And now what does he do with the very hands that have been entrusted with the authority to rule over all things? He gets down on his knees and he uses those hands to wash dirty feet. And I think at least part of the reason why he is doing that is because he is secure. He knows who he is. He doesn't have anything to prove. He doesn't have an image to carefully curate and manage on social media. Uh, He's not engaged in self-presentation activities, always worried about what they look like or how they feel and whether or not they're being acknowledged enough. No, Jesus knows who he is. He's secure in who he is. And so out of that secure knowledge, he gets up And he serves, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And of course, John makes it clear from the very opening that this is motivated by his love. He desires to meet the disciples' need because in verse 2 it says, he loved his disciples, and he loved them to the uttermost. This is the work of love, to wash feet. But again, it's completely out of their categories that Jesus would do this. And so notice what happens next. He comes to Simon Peter, who said to them, Lord, do you wash my feet? In the original Greek, it's interesting, the the Greek word for you and me are right at the very start of the sentence. 
And Peter's saying, you, me, you're going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus, no way. You are, Jesus, go, get, just go away. Don't wash my feet. You will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only then, but my hands and my head. <laughs> but Peter is incredibly uncomfortable with the idea of Jesus washing his feet. Now, why the discomfort? Well, again, I think on one level, it's simply because what Jesus is doing is completely revolutionary and countercultural. Nobody did this. And so Peter is saying, look, don't do this. Jesus, this is not what we do in our culture. You know, in, in the Greco-Roman world, again, the lesser was, ser was never served by the greater. And so Jesus here is turning the commonly accepted social hierarchy on its head, and he's saying, look, it's not what you think. The way up is down. The way to be the greatest of all is to be the servant of all. In fact, uh, the, the text reveals uh, in another gospel that Jesus' disciples actually were in a debate with each other around the dinner table. And the subject of their, their debate they were in was who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And who knows, maybe they were at that moment all looking around at the dirty feet and they were wondering, who is the least disciple? You know, and no doubt, you know, Peter was like, look, you know, I'm, I'm the greatest disciple. You know, I, I walked on water. You guys remember that? And they said, yeah, Peter, but you sank. And, uh, and then John pipes up and says, you know, no, 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 I, you know, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. <laughs> like, Jesus and I are close, you know, we're tight. And everyone looked at Judas, and they're like, Judas is not the greatest. Um, he's got that, you know, that dark scowl on his face, and they, that's all the pictures, the way they depicted him. <laughs> But they're in a debate over who's going to serve, maybe who's going to wash feet. And Jesus exposes them in this moment. And he says, the greatest is the one who serves. And so Peter is objecting to this because that is different than the way of the world. But I think that there's another reason why Peter is objecting to Jesus washing his feet. And I think another reason is because it is vulnerable to have the gaze, that all-knowing, all-seeing gaze of Jesus to look at an unseemly part of your body. You know, do you have, do you have parts of you that you don't want to be seen? And here... It's not the common slave that Peter thinks is beneath him. He's not really concerned. Here it is the gaze of Jesus that will be looking at his feet. And no doubt, Peter is going to feel exposed and known and vulnerable. And maybe he's resisting because he doesn't want to feel exposed and known and vulnerable. You know, I remember when I was in Albuquerque, uh, at one point, um, there was a team of us that went to downtown it to a, a ministry that served uh, the homeless population. 
And we went down to wash feet and to provide new shoes and socks for uh, the, the guests that were being served through this ministry. And it was, it was, uh, it was a, a, a little bit of an uncomfortable experience because you go in there and you literally are washing dirty, nasty feet. And you're providing a service that really is beneficial for them because you give them new socks and new shoes. And very often for that population that's struggling in that way, feet are of utmost importance. And you need good hygiene and healthy toes and nails and all of that. And so we were washing feet. It felt a little bit uncomfortable. But you know, quite honestly, as a upper middle class person from a suburban uh, church up in uh, Albuquerque Heights, I felt kind of good about myself. You know, I was there, I was serving, I was doing something that Jesus would do, and I was providing a need. And so there was a little bit of confidence, you know, that went in with that. But you know who wasn't feeling confident and strong in that moment? It was the people whose feet were being washed. Because they had to expose themselves as people of deep need. And in many places, they were opening up about their own shame and this darkness in their life, and it was their feet that needed to be cleaned. And there's something vulnerable and risky and hard about that. And I think Peter is experiencing something of that, but note well, Jesus says, unless you experience, unless you are willing to enter into vulnerability and openness, unless you are willing to expose those unseemly parts of you, Jesus says, you have no part with me. Jesus said in another place, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I think Jesus is saying something similar here. Unless you are willing to open up your life and be vulnerable and open and, and it, it, it reveal part of you that's shameful, Jesus says, you will never experience my cleansing. If you try to keep your feet to yourself, they're going to stay dirty. You have to bring them under that beautiful, you know, all-seeing gaze of the master Jesus and subject your heart and your life to his cleansing. But look what happens next. So Simon says, uh, Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 slow down. The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And then he says, you are all clean but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he had said, you are not all clean. And again, what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's saying, look, there's something more going on here. There's another layer here to what's happening than simply feet being washed. I'm teaching you something profoundly important about your own souls and your life and your need for cleansing. Well, the story closes with Jesus giving a lesson to his disciples. Look what it says. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? Jesus says, look, do you know what this is about? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you as an, an example that you should do as I also have done for you. We have said again and again and again that the most common term to describe a Christian in the New Testament is not Christian, it's the word disciple. And the word disciple simply means learner. And what are you learning? You are learning a way of life. And who are you learning a way of life from? Well, to be a disciple is to apprentice yourself to Jesus to learn his way of life. And he says, look, if you are my disciple, if you call me, Lord, then you will learn to do in your life what I have done for you. And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, that's great, but blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you follow my example, if you follow the model I have set, and you engage in sacrificial, generous, self-giving love to meet the needs of others. Jesus says, you are my followers indeed if you engage in that way of life. So go and wash feet. Go and wash feet. But what exactly does that mean? And I want to close just by kind of exploring this little application that Jesus gives that we ought to wash one another's feet. And I want to suggest what that means. Number one, uh, we can think of it in terms of literal foot washing. So there's a literal application. Jesus literally washed his disciples' feet And one of the ways we can follow after the model of Jesus is to literally wash other people's feet. I was uh, listening to uh, Pastor Albert Tate this week, a sermon that he preached on this text, and he told this cool story of uh, being invited uh, to the Vatican to go meet with Pope Francis. And he said that when he went out there, he said they were engaged in, in a number of conversations with people who were close to the Pope. And one of them told a story about uh, a, a dear friend of Pope Francis who was a Pentecostal pastor whose name was Pastor Giovanni. And he pastored a, a church in one of the cities there in Italy. And in that region, there was a great division and a lot of hostility between the Pentecostals and the Catholics. And Pastor Giovanni, when uh, Pope Francis arrived, met with him, and he said, look, you, you've got to... Um, you've got to help me with this. Let's work together to remedy and bring healing to this problem. And so the Pope said, all right, let's do it. And the Pope said, um, I'm going to come to your church and I'm going to preach and I'm going to minister there. And he said, and maybe that can be the first step in bridging the hostility. Well, uh, some of the people in, uh, around the Pope said, look, you know, you haven't even gone to the Catholic church in, your, in that region. How can you go up and go to the Pentecostal church? And, and the Pope was like, all right, all right. So then the, the Pope goes and he visits the Catholic church in the region. Uh, but then the next day, he sets up a special service for uh, the Pentecostal church. And uh, he arrives, and he's there with his entourage, and it was in an impoverished, uh, you know, kind of community. And uh, as the story goes, he gets out of the Pope Mobile or whatever he was driving. I don't know what they do. But um, th- this, this lady was walking down the street who's, you know, kind of this, you know, impoverished lady kind of walking. She looks up, and she sees the Pope, and she, you know, falls down and starts kissing his ring. And he's like, no, you know, stop that. And she dropped her groceries, and the Pope just helps pick up the groceries and sends her on her merry way. And then they go to the worship service. And he said, uh, in the middle of the service, 
Pope Francis and Pastor Giovanni walked arm in arm down the middle of the aisle. And when they got to the front, uh, Pope Francis got down on his knees and he uh, took off the shoes and the socks of this Pastor Giovanni, the Pentecostal preacher, and he washed his feet. And then he got up and he repented on behalf of those from the Catholic community that had created the hostility. He repented before these people. And it began this journey of healing. And it's interesting, if you Google Pope Francis washing feet, what you'll find is image after image of Pope Francis in a prison or, or with the poor, and he's washing feet. He's literally washing feet. You know, in the Catholic imagination, this is a representative of Christ on the earth. And, and what is the one who supposedly holds the highest power and authority in the church in their imagination doing? Well, he's getting down on his knees and he's washing feet. And so number one, there's a literal application. Jesus says, as I have done, so you must do. But secondly, there is a liturgical application to this command. So I grew up in, uh, or I, I was pastoring for 10 years actually alongside Pastor Robert at a church called the Fellowship of, or is a Fellowship of Grace Brethren Church. And in that tradition, they believe that communion, that you regularly pack, practice with the people of God, always involved three things. It always involved the bread and the cup, and it involved the love feast, which if you're new to Christianity, that sounds like way too much fun. It just sounds weird, right? The love feast. And... Um, and then there was foot washing. And so we would do this as a church every Monday, Thursday. We've done it here as a church on Monday, Thursday as a liturgical act. And of course, you don't do that in order to actually get somebody's feet clean. Because when you go to one of those foot washing services, your feet have never been cleaner. They've never looked better. They've never been more well manicured or pedicured or whatever than they were in that moment. Because the last thing you want to do is, is expose dirty feet to people. That's not what it's about. But one thing it does do it is vulnerable and it's humbling. And it's humbling not just to wash somebody's feet, it's humbling to have your own feet washed. And I think in the liturgical imagination by this regular habitual going back and going into the same practice again and again, it's there to train us perhaps to become more and more a community that exposes our lives in other vulnerable ways together. So there's the literal application, there's the liturgical application, but then finally there is the practical application. You know, in the ancient world, of course, washing someone's feet, it was neither heroic nor remarkable. So the love and service to which Jesus calls his disciples will work itself out primarily in the routines of daily living. This is a daily need that just had to be done. And one of the ways we go and we continue to wash feet as Jesus' people today is we go and we do the hard, difficult, sacrificial work that just needs to be done. We humble ourselves. Out of love, we exert ourselves to serve and care for others. You know, we as a community, we want to continue to grow more and more into this virtue of humble, sacrificial, generous service. You know, um, every church exists and it's run and it continues to function not by the paid staff, but it's always a collaboration 
of, of, of gifted people, of people who love other people, who sacrifice and who are willing to serve and get involved and team together and partner together in order to serve and work and really to step up and do what needs to be done. So what about you? What is the place that Jesus is calling you to step into today? Where, where is he calling you to take one further step out of maybe a life of self and to see needs around us in this community, around us in our neighborhoods and in the broader Los Angeles area, see needs, where is he calling us to step out and to give our life sacrificially in order to meet those needs? Now, ultimately, to become the kind of people that embody this ethic of humble, sacrificial service, the only way we will ever grow into that is when we regularly do what Peter did, and we allow ourselves to be exposed before that loving gaze of Jesus. And we receive his, his, his love afresh, this love that left the table with his Father in the glory of the eternal heavens and entered into the darkness and the difficulty and the suffering of human existence, ultimately giving his life utterly and completely away, dying the death of a common slave on a cross so that we could be cleansed and washed, so that he, by his great act of service, could meet our deepest need and bring us back to the Father and bring us into relationship with God. And when we receive this great love again and again and again, we become transformed into a people that becomes instruments and agents of this love out into the world. And so may God enable us and empower us to be that kind of a community. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for so many within this community that have lived faithfully into this call of being a humble, sacrificial, self-giving servant. Thank you so much for many, many people in this community who give themselves away for others. And I pray, oh God, that that spirit of sacrificial, self-giving love might spread among us all. And we pray, God, that you would make us into a community of humble servants who both receive and then give your love to others. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, who became a servant, a slave, so that he might meet our deepest need and mend our broken hearts and heal us and give us hope and love. We ask it in his name.